I grew up in Wales, and Wales's kind of subtitle is the land of song. So, you know, you can go into a little pub in Wales in the evening, and everybody will be singing. There's no fear of, of singing. And so it's part of who we are, it's part of our, our culture to sing. And so for me, I can't imagine a life without singing. It is your voice, and your voice is who you are. The choral music of Paul Mueller. I'm John Nowacki, and this is Presto from New England Public Radio. Paul Mueller has been described by the New York Times as the most important composer to have emerged in Welsh choral music since William Mathias. The Guardian described his music as being marked by something outside of himself that is beautifully spatial and evocative of landscape. It illuminates both our past and our future. Dr. Mueller's music has been commissioned and performed at many festivals and by many orchestras and choruses, and has been broadcast on every major TV and radio station throughout the world. Since January 2003, he has taught in the music department at the University of Aberdeen, where he's professor of composition. Paul, welcome. Thank you, John. There's a couple of quotes. One is by John Rutter, who said about choral singing that it's not about one's frills. He says it goes to the very heart of our humanity, our sense of community, and our souls. Eric Whitaker says that choir is the core of who we are. Why is choral singing so important to you? I grew up in Wales, and Wales's kind of subtitle is the land of song. So, you know, you can go into a little pub in Wales in the evening, and everybody will be singing. There's no fear of, of singing. And so it's part of who we are. It's part of our, our culture to sing. And so for me, I can't imagine a life without singing. It is your voice and your voice is who you are, you know, and everybody sounds different. Yeah, okay, there are some people who aren't so great, and, and there are some people who are fabulous, but everybody has something to say when they sing. Did you sing as a child? I did. I was very fortunate to have got in to the St. Asaph Cathedral Choir, and it's an Anglican cathedral, but it's the same as the Episcopal Church here in the, in the United States, and so it was a choir of boys and men. And so you'd start off as the trebles, which is the young boys, and then gradually, as you developed, you would then move to the other parts, the alto, the tenor, and the bass. So over your time in the cathedral choir, you would sing all the parts, which I think is, is a very fine tradition. Were your parents musical? They'd like to think so, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly loved music. Going back to your experience as a chorister then and singing in choir, what was the music that you liked the best? Well, in the, the British choral tradition, there is the, the great giants, people like Thomas Tallis and Henry Purcell and Orlando Gibbons and the Welsh composer Thomas Tompkins, William Byrd, all of these composers. Now, your music has what I would describe as a spirituality to it, a spiritual quality, and that comes from deep inside. How did that develop? I was a young boy, just turned nine, and my brother and I, in Dimhligwi, which is a, a little place in Wales, we'd decided to go down this river. I couldn't swim, so I stood by the side of that river, and I decided to put my toe into the water, and I just fell in. Oh. And there was nobody around at that point, and I was being dragged under the water by the current, and I realized that I was probably going to die. The minute I realized that, when I say realized, I didn't just think, I actually knew it deep down. A great warmth came over me like I'd never felt before or since, and it was as if death was not a bad thing, that this wasn't something to be afraid of and that I should really just go to sleep. And so, of course, that's what I decided I was going to do. At that point, I was lifted out of the water by passers-by and resuscitated. And from that moment on, I wanted to find out what that warmth was. And so that's when my parents decided to take me to the cathedral. And when I walked into the doors of the cathedral, thinking that I was going to maybe become a priest, I actually heard the choir singing. 
and they sang CC the Word is Incarnate by Orlando Gibbons, Gibbons. and then uh, What Sweeter Music by John Rutter. And I just said to my dad, this is what I want to do. <laughs> I want to be in this choir and sing. And so that is how I was drawn to that, and that is how I, why I wanted to compose, because I thought as I started singing these pieces... I could have a go at writing some of these. I feel deep down, I want to try and recapture that warmth that I felt and to try and and imbue that in music. What are some of the things that you've learned that have helped shape your style of music? For me, most I've learned, it's been actually doing it, trial and error. So once I'd learned the technique and stuff from some great teachers, it's actually try out the idea. Is this really what I want to say? Am I saying it right? And then, of course, many people who don't think that they're your teachers actually become your teachers. If you're worth your salt, you listen to what everybody says. So, you know, you're in a choir and you write a piece and the old guy on the second tenor says to you, well, I actually think, you know, this tenor writing, you maybe should think about this. Well, there's a teacher who's just learned from experience. And so I listen to what everybody says, even the negative ones. And I think you can learn something from everybody. And so the things that I've mostly gleaned is that I have to make my own mistakes when you think you've got something and got it down on paper and think, oh, this is great, and then you go back and suddenly it doesn't seem so great, does yeah, that happen? that happens a lot. And yes. what do you do then? Well, Shostakovich would say, oh, we'll just get it right in the next piece, whereas Bruckner would say, well, then change it and revise. So I've kind of more gone with the Shostakovich way, but I prefer, I think, to say, look, that piece is its piece, and I now need to take what I've learned from that to the next one. Your career as a choral composer really exploded after your setting of Ubi Caritas was sung at the wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton. How did that come about? No one really knows, and I've been trying to find out why that (laughs) happened and how that happened. I got contacted, and and would I write a piece for for the royal wedding? Of course, at that point, it hadn't been announced, so nobody knew, and I thought somebody was joking and winding me up. There was a central dilemma, because the piece that they originally chosen was a piece called Now Sleeps the Crimson Petal, which is a setting of Tennyson. It's a very beautiful poem about two people in love with each other, lying in each other's arms, and they happen to be naked, <laughs> um, which, <laughs> uh, for Westminster Abbey, um, <laughs> for a big service of a future king, maybe wasn't quite right. And so I was asked if I could reimagine the piece. That kind of blows my mind because here you were asked to, what you set this text, Ubi Caritas, and that must have been a little intimidating. Very intimidating, and it was because, you know, the very famous one is the, um, the Derufle. And, of course, that is sung all over the world, and it's become a, quite rightly a favorite of everybody's. And so I thought to myself, you either think two things. One, you think that all of these composers are standing in front of you saying, hang on, you can't do this. Or they're all standing behind you saying, okay, you have a go, it's your turn now. And I thought, well, I'm going to think like that because I'm just going to write my piece and I'm going to try and put Derufle out of my mind and do my piece because I had the harmony anyway, I had the melody, so I I had something to work with which wasn't bound up in Derufle. And so that kind of freed me. And so I wrote it and then I thought to myself, well, I have to tackle Derufle in some way here in this piece. And so at the end, I decided to quote a little bit of Derufle. And I realized when I'd been speaking with the royal couple that Catherine liked very much solo trouble, one little boy singing. And so at the very end of my piece has this one solo boy, Thomas Featherston Ho was the guy that sang it on the day. And it's just that little bit of the plain chant which nods its head and doffs its cap to Mr. Derufle. Paul, I've got two of your discs, The Tender Light 2011 and I Saw Eternity in 2014. Both feature the ensemble Tenebrae with Nigel Short. I was wondering if you maybe select a couple of cuts that you might consider oh, maybe favorites and why. 
it's interesting because there, there are favourites for different reasons. I think in the Attend the Light CD, I, I couldn't not choose Ubi Caritas because it kind of changed my life. You know, straight after the performance of that, I had 70,000 emails. So I'd have to choose that because, first of all, I mean, who gets to write for a future king of England? And who gets to sit in Westminster Abbey and hear it? So that has a very special piece to me. Well, let's listen to Ubi Caritas. This is Tenebrae. They're conducted by Nigel Short.
Paul Mueller's Ubi Caritas, sung by Tenebre, conducted by Nigel Short from the disc A Tender Light. Another piece on here is Locasiste, because it's one of my first big major commissions, and it was for Polyphony and Stephen Layton. And on the other CD, there is, of course, my Ave Maria, and then, then I think Peace. Here is Paul Mueller's Locus Iste, sung by Tenebre, again conducted by Nigel Short.
Nigel Short conducting the ensemble Tenebrae, taken from the disc A Tender Light, and that was Paul Mueller's Locus Iste. You brought along a disc, and I'm, I'm really thrilled because I don't think this is available, as you mentioned here. This is rather new. I mean, yes. this is one of the newest. It's called Immortal Memory, and it's a Burns Night celebration. I'm very proud of this CD because it's my own student choir at the university, and they work very hard, and they're a very good choir. We were invited by His Royal Highness Prince Charles, Prince of Wales, to see if we could do something to help the people of Ballater, which is a small town in the northeast of Scotland, which during the floods the previous year, the River Dee broke its banks and basically destroyed the whole town. And so he had formed a charity to try and raise some money to help people rebuild their lives. And he said, could we do something? So we racked our brains, what are we are going to do? Well, what can we do but sing? So we thought, right, well, we'll do our Burns Night. It's a celebration of Robert Burns, or as we say in Scotland, Rabbi Burns. And so I got my postgraduate students to arrange all of these classics for choir. And so for the first time, I think, ever, we have choral arrangements of Burns. And the last track particularly, is, for me, is the most moving because it's Old Lang Syne, which, of course, everybody knows. But when I was talking to Robert Lovey, who is a Scottish entertainer, about the choices for this, he told me that there's an older tune which Burns himself would have known. And so he played me that tune, and I fell in love with it. It blew me away. And so in this arrangement, we have the old tune sung by Robert, and then the choir comes in with the new tune, and it's quite magical. Here is the setting of Auld Lang Syne, arranged by Raymond Jappy and Robert Lovey, sung by members of the University of Aberdeen Chamber Choir, Paul Mueller, conducting. be forgot and never brought to mind should old acquaintance be forgot and old langsign for old langsign would you for old Sing, 
from the most recent disc, Immortal Memory. It's a Burns Night celebration. The University of Aberdeen Chamber Choir members, Paul Mueller, conducting a setting of Auld Lang Syne and an arrangement by Raymond Jappy and Robert Lovey. I've been talking with Paul Mueller. Thank you. Thank you, John. I hope you've enjoyed the music of Paul Mueller. Let us know what you think about Presto. Review us on Apple Podcasts or send an email to radio at nepr.net. The executive producer of Presto is John Bosey. I'm John Nowacki. Thanks for listening. Presto is a production of New England Public Radio.